I want to start by talking about some of your earliest memories of fashion. I'm interested, do you remember the first piece of clothing or, or the first piece of fashion you ever bought? Uh, the first piece of fashion, yes, I do remember. Because um, at that time, and I don't know, it must have been in the 40s, it was in the 40s. At that time, Liberties used to buy the toiles directly from Paris. And they had a Dior toile, and I just fell in love with it. It was a grey, two pieces. It was so beautifully made, it was so intricately made, that I fell for it. I think I spent all my money on it. <laughs> but that was the one piece that I really felt was real fashion. What I kept it? it for quite a few years. I wish I'd kept it longer. Oh, do you not have it anymore? No, oh. no, and it would have really been, really something that one would treasure. Mm. Yeah. Is that what made you sort of fall in love with retail? That idea of wanting something and loving it, and then getting it, and that rush you get. That could have been my getting involved in retail was a way of going forward in my life, actually, because my husband was. You call it retail, he had a stall in a market selling hosiery when people couldn't get hosiery. <laughs> so uh, that was really my first introduction and from then on um, I got introduced to the world of retail. Mm. Going back to when you sort of your first memories of fashion, you've talked before about how your aunts were court dressmakers yes, and that was your first yes. interaction. Yes, well I, I think it must be in the genes because my mother was a tailoress and my aunts were court dressmakers, and another uncle was a tailor. <laughs> so I suppose, you know, it could be in the genes, but yes, I used to spend a lot of time with my aunts. And uh, I remember very vividly sitting on their cutting table and then leafing through these books that really didn't mean much to me as far as fashion was concerned, because the illustrations were so unlike the people that I saw around me. Mm. But it gave me, obviously, a vision of some sort. Mm. I'm interested that you say, you know, that the, the illustrations weren't like what you saw around you because you've talked a lot about how that's how you approach the Browns customer is what would I like to wear and you think about what real women would want to wear. Is that the point where you, you started to kind of focus on what you saw women in the street wearing, rather than this fantasy of Yes, yes. I'm always influenced by what the woman in the street is wearing, and still am now. Mm. But I was very much influenced as well by the fact that both of my children went to the lycée, the lycée Francaise, and there, my goodness, style was <laughs> absolutely mm -hmm. abundant, you know. At that time, uh, what one wore was a cropped Shetland sweater, mm. a kilt, knee-high socks in uh, colours, and then a raincoat that actually everybody bought from Marks and Spencers that you could tie at the back. Nobody buttoned up their coats then. So that to me was style, because it was individual, although everybody sort of copied it. But that was style. Mm. It's interesting to me that you mentioned that kind of international focus, because obviously that's something that was so key to Browns and was so unique mm. for its time. Why was that something that was so special? Because I think it's, it's hard to imagine now not seeing um, collections from all over the world. In it's a, so a different, completely mm. different, mm. truly. I was very lucky to be at the very beginning of everything. You know, um, 
as far as individual shops were concerned. Even in London, there weren't very many. You had the King's Road group, which was quite different, punk, sex, really different. And there wasn't anything else around. Um, weren't. A lot of people used to have their clothes made. I always had my clothes made before I found uh, one dress at Liberty's. And I remember for my trousseau, I bought a dress, I think, in Harrods. But otherwise, all my clothes were made. Mm. And I, I think that's how it was with most people. Mm. You know, either their mothers made their clothes for them or they found a dressmaker. Mm. So it's quite changed. And it's very difficult for young people to really realize how it was. Mm. And that's how we benefited, because we really created something. Mm. Created something that wasn't there. I'm interested in the transition that you made because you mentioned, you know, the work that your husband was doing right through until you, until you founded Browns, because it wasn't the first shop no. that you founded. No, no. Talk to me about that, the, your sort um, of earliest well, phrase. I was working with my husband mm. and his brother, and we built up a very prestigious uh, chain of shops, and they were called Neatwear. I think you've got that down. Mm. Um, they were very respective. They were in every high street in England, not, not just London, England, in all the main cities. I think we must have had, or oh, easily, 35 or 40. And there came a recession, and I'm afraid we lost the lot. And as a result, losing the lot, uh, we lost, my husband had guaranteed our home you know, to the banks, and banks are very cruel. We really lost everything we possessed, and we had to start again. So truly, when people speak to me about Browns, I just say, they say, well, why, why did you do it? It was survival. And that's why it had to be successful as well, as far as I was concerned. Mm. Now that's sort of going back a bit, isn't it, really? But. You ask me a Browns, that's why it has to be different always. Mm. That's why we're always looking for new designers. We're always nurturing the talents as much as possible. Mm. Um, because that's how we started, this discovery. Mm. So it sounds to me like it must have really increased sort of both your pragmatism but also your drive having an experience like that. It must have made you a lot more, yeah, Browns must have felt a lot more, a oh, lot it, more special. It had to be. Mm. It was a question of having to be successful, you know, whatever mm. it was. And there again, I was very lucky. I had a lot of good people, a lot of good friends that um, liked myself and my husband and wanted to help us, so made it a little easier. Mm. But Al Sassoon gave us one of his shops because he didn't want to continue with it anymore. He had a hairdressing salon and in the front, it was a shop called The Shop, and he asked, he knew me well, um, and he knew the position we were in and said, would you like to take it over? And of course we did. Mm. And um, another thing, one of the um, most desirable um, young, two young men who made clothes, Sterling Cooper, their name was, most desirable, they really were. And the wife of one of them worked for us at Neatwear. And once they heard what had happened, they offered to have the, you can take whatever you like on sale of return for your shops. 
And that also was a great help to us. Mm. You know, friends like that are wonderful in times of uh, stress. Mm. Gosh, I'm taking, I'm going back in time. <laughs> Reminiscing. <laughs> Do you, I'm interested because you mentioned before, you know, how different the whole retail experience is now to what it was like when you were starting. Do you think that it's, is that, is there the, those same personal loyalties and those same kind of friendships that you had then? Because it seems to me now that that personal connection between the designer and yes. the retailer that stocks them, that, has that gone a little bit, do you think? Well, there's, there's so many now, that's why, you know, then there was a very small nucleus of people mm. who were doing things that were remarkable. Now it's reached saturation point. Of course I have made friendships with with the designers, yes. Mm. Um, perhaps more so with those that I knew from the past, like the family Missoni. Mm. You know, we're very close to that family. Um, and to Albert Baz, possibly the European designers more. I don't know why, but uh, no, those that we've we've introduced and helped, of course, mm. close. Mm. Yes. Who did you first stock when Brown started? Do you remember the first collections you bought or the first pieces that yes, you? Yes, the first were well. The first in Browns we had were Newman jeans, very famous. They were at the time. They were um, velvet, in all wonderful colours. And, um, but really, we, we sold them in a range of about 12 different colours. And at that time, they were £12 a pair, which was a lot of money. <laughs> but we had waiting lists for them. So, you know, that was one thing. And then Emmanuel Kahn at that time was doing a little line of underwear. So we had that. And then Sonia Ricciel and then Missoni. They were the staples. And there were a few knitwear people from England that don't exist anymore. Uh, one was Mary Farron, I remember, she did everything in Angora, very successful. Why do you think that people loved Browns? What, what did people engage with? Was it the choice? Was it the experience? I, I hope it's the whole experience. I hope it's the ambience. I hope it's, I hope they know that we are not selling clothes. I don't like anybody to look, to go out of the shop not looking good in something that she's bought at Brown's. And actually I've often said, no, you don't, don't buy that, please. Mm. You know, but we'll show you something else, but just don't, or think about it. And, but if we know that she's not gonna get somebody saying to her, oh, you look marvelous, somebody will say, oh my God, where did you get that from? That doesn't do us any good. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we're still small, and say small is beautiful, it is a family business. I mean, my son is the CEO, my daughter's the creative director, and my granddaughter is the director of the website, so very family. Mm. That's, is that very important to you, to keep it? I think so. Mm. I think so, because all my staff are like family. You know, they've been with me. I've just, unfortunately, my um, right-hand fashion director has just retired after 40 years, but she wanted to go back and live in, in France. I couldn't believe she would retire. I said to her, you can't, I haven't, so how can you? <laughs> but she had her priorities slightly different than mine. Mm. <laughs> and now, of my other staff, 25 years, 30 years, 15 years of the juniors. Mm. So, and, and when you have that, 
you do create a wonderful atmosphere, you know, for your customers within, within brands as well. So we try, mm. we try. And I think you get a sense of loving it, mm. Mm. really. I want to talk about, it's interesting that you say loving it because I wanted to talk about your first love because I wondered if it was going to be retail when we started talking, but from what you've said, it seems like it was fashion that was what you adored. Is it fashion or is it, is it that whole shopping experience? I, I see it as, what, a passion almost, mm. not just the shopping. It's a whole, a whole picture. That's what I see it as. Mm. And you know, retail is detail and I have to be aware of everything mm. as much as possible. Let's talk about some of that must-have fashion that you've had across because Browns has been going now for over 40 years. Tell 43. me. 43. 43, it's incredible. Mm. Talk to me about some of the, the highlights, some of the designers who you've championed, because people often make a lot about the fact that you bought John Galliano's graduate collection, but also even designers like you know, Armani or Ralph Lauren that you've worked with. What's yes. been, who well, when I started going over to New York, I realized that nobody <coughs> knew about Calvin Klein. And so we offered him one of our shops in South Milton Street. And he was exclusive to us then in the beginning. It was wonderful. There were queues for him. The only problem with the American designers were they weren't used to export. <coughs> they didn't know how it worked. They didn't realize that we couldn't, we just have to have, you know, continuous deliveries. Mm. They thought we could just have one delivery and it would last us for so many weeks, but it didn't. So they were never prepared. Same thing was with Ralph Lauren. We opened the first shop for him in London, um, where his children's shop is now. You know, in New Bond Street, is yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. We did that because I thought we needed it. It was something new, something that we didn't have anything like it in London, in both of those designers. The same thing with Donna Karen. Nobody knew about her. Mm. I remember we did a, a fashion show at the Gilder Hall with our customers, I think it was a charity one, and they could not understand that all the models, had about 20 models came in and they came out just wearing bodysuits. And then she dressed them with her five easy pieces and that was sensational. Uh, same with Norma Kamali, nobody knew about Norma Kamali and uh, we introduced Norma to London. Um, Comedy Garçon, exactly the same. But these people had something that was really great to offer, something that nobody else was doing. Mm. And that's hopefully what we're still looking for. What is that star quality? You said it's something that no one else is doing. Is it always innovation that impresses you? Yes, yes, new ideas. Not looking backwards, except for Ralph, because he works on history of, um, of America. But all the others were absolutely brand new ideas. And that's what people want. Um, I want to talk a bit about that retail process and how that's changed. Have you noticed that the, the pace has changed since you've been working? What, what's the biggest? Oh, it's all changed completely. Mm. You know, they say the highest form of flattery is copying. And I'm against that now. I mean, we. We try very hard to be original and find things, especially for our focus shops. 
which has to be original, you know. And then the next thing you find that somebody's discovered where you got it from and goes along and offers more to buy more quantities and you can suddenly lose it. So I don't call that flattery. I find that I like people to really discover what they want for whatever they want. Mm. Not to just say, oh, Browns has got it, come on, let's go and find out where they've got it from and we'll get it. Mm. And this, happened, this has been happening quite a lot recently. So I haven't got respect for those stores or bars that do that, quite honestly, if they can't get out there and discover it themselves. I used to think it was flattery. I don't anymore. <laughs> you must, yeah. Business is too difficult to be have such largesse, you see, and to be so nice. <laughs> That's a warning to well, any of those that come snooping around Browns anymore, because <laughs> 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 my buyers are forbidden to snoop anywhere. They can, they've got to go directly and find it themselves. Is that the root of Browns' success? That your buyers they just work harder than anyone else? Yes. Yeah. Oh, they do. They really, I don't know, possibly every buyer thinks they work hard, but I know that our girls, they do, yep. And they try and, they create good relationships to try and secure uh, an ongoing um, business relationship. So, we're still fighting, I promise you. After 43 years, we're still there. Do you think you'll still be there sort of in 40 years time? What's going to keep you there? What's made Browns so unique? Because you, everyone does copy you, as you say, but Browns is still Well, here. we're trying to be better all the time. Mm -hmm. I think that's why. I think we're one of the few independent shops that even bother to do windows now. And we have an in-house creative team headed by my daughter. And it is costly. But everybody comes and photographs those windows and we think that we're doing that, making that statement. Instead of having just a line of mannequins, you know, blonk, 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 blonk. We're trying to create an image that makes people think, oh, you know, I must go in there because I like what they're doing with their windows, you know. It, you know no, if I keep on saying that, they'll all copy. <laughs> they won't, it costs a lot of money. <laughs> no, not really. We have dedicated people, interns who come and work, will work free to do the windows and to help us and do everything like that. Which I, th I think is also, also they get credited on our windows and lots of them been taken up by other companies to work for them, which I like too. I like that. I mean, the amount of people who had working for us over the years who've gone on to, to do spectacularly. Richard James was an assistant buyer with us. Paul Smith worked with us in Browns. I mean, oh, I could go on and on, tell you all sorts of people. <laughs> and that's wonderful, because they all remain friends, and they all remember, mm. you know, they all remember. <laughs>